And with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, I'm really thankful I, I got that chance to go play at K State. With that being said, with that being said, thank you all. And with that being said, with that being said, I am. <laughs> nah, with that being said. Hey guys, welcome to our Five is One podcast. And with that being said, my name is Jonathan Heinbach, Coach Jaime. I've uh, been coaching 25 years. There's been a lot of stops on the world tour. And that's why this is really a special episode. Having uh, one of my coaching mentors, uh, one of my coaches when I was playing over in the NFL European League, uh, Coach Jeff Reinbold, who is, I don't even know what airport you are in right now. Jeff, uh, I know you're in Hawaii. You're working your way over to Europe. Uh, where are you at right now? I'm in the United Lounge in the Chicago O'Hare International Airport. So with that being said, Jaime, this is an awesome experience for me because when I look back at the backdrop that you have and I I see that black and white Rhinefire helmet down on the right, then an Argos helmet, then an Eskimos helmet, then a Montreal helmet. And I think about how incredible this coaching thing has been and the playing thing has been for all of us in this business, man. It is it is really, really fun to reconnect. And I'm sure we're going to have a blast just talking story. Brother, it is great to have you on. So Coach Jeff Reinbold, uh, by the way, happy belated birthday. I appreciate that. We we won't talk about how many years you're looking younger and younger every time I see you, but like you're looking great every time I see you. Though I got more and more gray, so we we gotta we gotta talk after the show's over about uh, how you're looking so young and and spry. But man, you have been all over. You have been. I think I've had a a, a wide, varied uh, career across uh, across the globe, whether it's north south of the border in the CFL. I was, uh, like I said, fortunate to be able to go play for you over in NFL Europe uh, in the NFL Developmental League when that was going on. And uh, you and I have been across the sidelines. And it's pretty cool, the the change from the college ranks where you and I have both coached to the professional level. How many years you've been coaching now? Well, I think now, I mean, I, I'm not great at math, but um, 1982 was my first season. And so... And that's, whoa, that's scary. That's, that's scary. Started coaching I, real, you started coaching real young. We'll put it that way. I was, I, the child, I was a child prodigy, John. <laughs> but, <laughs> I love it. Let me, let me tell you that, that um, one of the greatest thrills I had when I was a kid, and I, even as a kid, I didn't, I didn't, I knew it was cool, but I didn't know how cool it was. My dad took me to Chicago to see Satchel Paige pitch, right? It, the like and satchel page was like the coolest dude he must have been 55 and he pitched like two innings i think for the white Sox. and he had a saying how old would you be if you didn't know how old you was and so that's what i prescribed to so i just keep i just keep saying i get younger every year well you do man and and the guys that you've coached you've been very successful as a coach and the relationships that you have with your players, it really, it doesn't matter your background, where you're from, um, 
where you've been. It's all about helping players prolong their career. And that was one of the things that I learned early on in my professional coaching experience when I was coaching for Jim Barker up in Calgary. Um, I think it was 2003. I was coaching in Calgary with him up in the CFL and I was coaching guys that were older than me. And it was one of those things that was like, what can I bring to the table? How can I help these guys? And the number one thing was I'm when I walked in the room, I said, I'm here to help you prolong your career. And once the players understand that, and once you kind of take the ego of, Hey, I'm the coach, I'm supposed to be older, do it as a, do as I say, not, you know, just because, and, and if you take that and we're saying, Hey, for us together, we're going to try to put the best team we can and help you prolong your career and put great things on film. That's why we all love coaching the game and loving helping kids and pros, whatever level you're at. Yeah, I, I think you're right, man. And and I remember vividly, you know, you making the tr- beginning your first baby steps in the transition from player, right? Because you played for us in 99, played center for us. And, you know, next to Chris Brimer and a great group offensive lineman and then came back the next year and worked with Whitey Jordan, our offensive line coach. And, you know, John, I, I will say this, and I'm not saying it because we're doing this podcast. I'm saying it's because it's true. There are there are certain guys that are born to it. I think that are it just, you know, your dad was a coach. You grew up around the game. You, you know, you had so many, so many amazing experiences playing, you know, for John Matsko at USC. And, um, but you, I remember making a comment to Pete Kaharchik that, I, I said, Heine's going to be a good one. You watch. And it really has turned out to be the case. And what, what you said is exactly true because I had a very similar experience. I go to BC in 1988 as a guest coach. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I think I'm about 28 years old. And Kevin Konar was an all pro middle linebacker that we had that was at the end of his career, about 34. And I got great advice from a guy on the staff, Greg Newhouse. And he said, don't try and bullshit them. Just make sure that they know that you're there to help them. And if you don't have an answer, find it. But don't, you know, don't try and fake your way through it because they'll sm- they'll smell that in a heartbeat. And you know that was such good advice for a young guy. And I would think that the same is still true. You know, players are more sophisticated now, I think, than they were back in the day. They're, you know, they're. They're exposed to more things than we were, certainly. And um, so now I think for for coaches, it's even more important that it's about communication. It's about relationships. It's about them having trust. And trust is, you know, you coach the hardest position in football, and that's the offensive line. Because no place will get you beat faster, and no place is teamwork more important you know, you got to be a great individual technician inside of a, like you say, five as one, right? And I think that's so absolutely true. So I've always kind of gravitated towards offensive linemen and offensive line coaches because I, you know, I still religiously follow Jim McNally on, on you know, the X or Twitter or whatever it's called. And, you know, Chris Sinkovich, who, you know, is, is retired now and living in Las Vegas and you know, I've had a chance to work with him in the spring league and, you know, yourself and you know, all the guys that I really respect in the game. Most of them are, are offensive line coaches. Cause you know, again, you're working with 
a different group of guys, a, a group that, you know, probably are, you know, not the greatest athletes on the football team. And they have to understand, they have to be able to, Thank you. you know, I mean, nobody, 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 nobody wants to date the left tackle. I mean, it's just <laughs> work they might want to date the left tackle. I don't know about the guards and the centers, but uh, hey, you know what? And that's why I wanted to bring this thing back because I was a young offensive lineman trying to, you know, I had just been to the Cardinals, was released by the Arizona Cardinals my rookie year, and I actually had to play left tackle in, my, in one of the uh, preseason games. We played the Lions, and they had a couple injuries, and they're looking around like, we got to get out of this game, and I'm the third center trying to get film. And all of a sudden, we go play the Lions, and I jump in, and I play the fourth quarter. I play left tackle, and I'm I'm six foot two and change, you know, with my cleats and my helmet on, and I don't quite have the wingspan out on the edge. But I played in that fourth quarter, and I scrapped, and I clawed, and I got a couple snaps. And when I was with you guys in the Ryan Fire, you guys ended up picking me up like second round of the free agent draft for for the free agent draft in NFL Europe. Whitey Jordan, our line coach, said, I saw your college film, but the film that got you picked was playing left tackle in the NFL in a preseason game because that just shows you're a guy that's going to do whatever the team needs. And I had just started to learn how to long snap, and I never did it in college. I was the emergency guy if one of the buses, you know, had a flat tire, whatever, one of those get into the game. But I was so concerned with playing offensive line. And I didn't get it until I got cut and wanted to uh, do whatever I could to make a roster that you empowered me to be the snapper on our team in in the Rhine Fire in Dusseldorf, um, that I was the center and I saved a roster spot because I could be your snapper. Now, I know I wasn't much of a threat on coverage downfield, brother, but there wasn't anybody getting through those A-gaps. Um, and I had my head on a swivel when I was covering on punt team, but what I was able to do and then transition that I, I played center for the whole time. I snapped for you the whole time. You coached the special teams unit like it was the offensive line. And it was about everybody doing it for each other. And that's what I think is so unique about the game of football. It's so great about how I was able to learn from coaches like you about, it's not just what you can do, it's what this unit can do and to find the best five is one on the offensive line or the best punt unit or the best kickoff coverage unit or whatever to, to do it for the whole group. And that mentality I learned from you as one of my coaches. And I always loved what you gave to me as a player that you gave me the confidence that I could be a professional long snapper. Went and did that. Uh, went to the Kansas City Chiefs, was released by the Chiefs, then ended up coming back to Europe, kind of helping out, being a insurance, to, you know, just in case. I know you guys lost a couple guys injury-wise, came back to NFL Europe, and then I did it in the original XFL, and I was a center and long snapper. Um, so thank you for what you empowered me, and then I was able to pass along to the kids that I've been able to coach, and then not only that, but to my children. Both my boys are long snappers. Walker, who's a true freshman snapper in the SEC for Kentucky. And then my youngest boy, Tyler, who's a sophomore right now. They're deep in the playoffs, so I'm able to help and be a dad and coach with him, with his team. So it's been awesome. So long story, but but Jeff, you coach the special teams just like I try to do as an offensive line coach. 
It's not just about the great returner or the great cover guy. It's about the unit being productive. And this year in Hamilton, you had a ton of success with your group in the CFL. Give it, give me a little lowdown about kind of how your group was this year in the CFL in Hamilton. Well, I was really proud of them. You know, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've found out over the years that the better players I have, the better coach I am. Um, but we had a group of kids this year. I mean, you would have loved being a part of. They were completely unselfish guys. And I mean, completely unselfish. And that's really a rare and a rarer every year trait in professional football. But these guys really bought into the whole ethos that, you know, we're a special forces unit. We are not, you know, it's a collection of individuals, but, but, uh, we have a, we have a task that we have to perform together. And, you know, they led the CFL with 17, uh, explosive returns, which are a kickoff return of over 40 yards and a punt return of over 30. We had 17 and 18 games and, um, gave up the fewest in the league, only gave up seven in 18 games. So, um, I was really proud of the things that they were able to do. Um, and you know, the adversity that they, they fought through they, every week they came to play. And I mean, they were fun to coach. They, 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 you know, I, I use this term, they demanded to be coach and, and they really did. They, they did not, you know, and, and I, I, you know, say this to them, to every group that we work with, I say every year, we're in this thing together, man. And you know, you got to hold me accountable, right? If I'm going to hold you accountable, then you have to hold me accountable. And, you know, our meetings are really interesting because they're, they're, you know, I think really good special teams coaches everywhere I've been have always been part lion tamer, part snake charmer, part magician, part, you know, thespian. I mean, it's all, I mean, because, you know, you think about it and coaching the offensive line, I know you can relate to this. You're asking guys to do something that is completely against the norm. I mean, I've coached this thing for a long time and I've watched, you know, thousands of players come and go. And I've never had one who hand me, handed me his football card at the end of the season and said, right guard on the punt team or, you know, L5 on kickoff. It's always, I've been a, I'm a guard or I'm a linebacker or I'm a safety or whatever. And, you know, you can go to any place you want, drive through any town in America, no matter where it is, Texas to California to New York. And you're never going to see kids out in the park breaking the wedge. <laughs> They're out there throwing and catching the ball. So you're asking guys to do something that really is, you know, kind of, especially when they come to pro football and they bend the guy all the way up the, the chain. And then to sublimate that and be able to say, hey, I'm going to go do something that's physically hazardous and do it with, you know, not, not because I have to, but because I want to. And when you get that mentality in a group of athletes, it's a really cool thing to be a part of, you know, because you coached, you know, some really great offensive lines. And, and when you, the, 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 you know, the satisfaction that you get when the group has success, we have a, we have a kind of a thing that we talk about all the time is that, you know, team success is a prerequisite to personal success. And, you know, that's the way we try and approach it every day and with that being said Jeff like 
your groups are so successful because you empower the unit. And I remember walking onto the field at Ryan Stadium and you were rocking the uh, the Buffalo Soldiers theme. Like you made us feel like we were special in the unit because we were all there, a lot of us, to get film as an offensive lineman or a D lineman or a linebacker or a receiver, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, if you can create a collective just uh, experience that everybody wants to be a part of that unit, wants to be a part of that punt team and be the ones that are leading the way on the kickoff or punt return to make those big plays. That's what's going to help guys stick in pro ball, especially in the developmental leagues like NFL Europe, or if you see a great returner in the CFL or guys that are making transitions from the XFL and the USFL onto, you know, the NFL stage right now, you see Turpin and, Brandon Aubrey, those guys that are with the Cowboys right now that were with the USFL. And you see so many guys make a name for themselves on teams. And that's why I feel like that's probably one of the positions you haven't coached as the offensive line. You probably coach D-line, receivers, DBs, teams, but you pretty much have coached the offensive line, even though those units are on special teams, just like what you try to create as an offensive line coach. So creating a, you know, the whole is just the bigger than the one part that you're a part of on that unit. Yeah. And, and you know, like I say, it's been, um, you know, a, a really, really fun ride doing it. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Bob Marley stuff with, with Buffalo sh- soldiers, and that was a theme, you know, we try and have a theme every year for mm-hmm. a group. And, um, we've done everything from talk about the ancient Lua warriors in Hawaii to, you know, special forces unit my brother was a part of uh you know one of the elite ranger units and you know as a attack helicopter pilot and you know he talked to he came and talked to our kids about you know their ethos and you know how everybody is responsible to everybody in the unit and that nobody's job is more important or less important than the next guys all the things that all the things that you know this football is such an incredible game and it is the truly the the greatest team sport. I mean, I, it's not even close. And, you know, when you can get, in, for us, 53-man roster and everybody moving in the same direction, that's an incredible accomplishment. And I'm not demeaning any other sport. You know, my dad was in pro baseball, and, you know, you have a roster of 22. And in, in basketball, you got 13. And I mean, it's a hell of a lot easier to get 13 guys going in the same direction than it is to get, you know, 65 of them when you count your practice roster guys and your injured guys and all of that. And, you know, there are a lot of, I've been around a lot of great X and O guys, Jaime. I mean, some guys that were really, really could really, really, you know, get up on the board with anybody. And if they had the chalk in their hand last, they were going to win. But the really outstanding leaders that I've been around and I'm going to put, you know, Dick Vermeil in the at the top of that list. Uh, you know, they were so good at understanding what made people tick. Not what fo- not make football players tick, made people tick. And, you know, coach had a saying uh, in the time that I was with him, he had a saying that he went to all the time. He goes, players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's really, really true. Because by the time a player gets to us, He's not only had success, but he's also experienced failure. He's probably been cut once or twice and they get suspicious after they've been cut and they don't trust. And, 
that experience of building trust, which doesn't happen in a day. It only can happen when you go through tough ass times together. Then you can build trust. And once you have trust, you have the opportunity to have greatness. I really believe that. And, you know, that being said, you got to have talent, obviously. But if you have trust and talent, you got a chance to have specialness. 100%. And, and uh, I just want to take this opportunity. One of my mentors that was my offensive line coach, Dave Levy, um, who uh, was a great coach at uh, at USC, was with the um, Don Coryell with the with the Chargers. Spent time with Wayne Fonts as the offense coordinator with the Lions. Um, coached me after years and years of being at USC, and then he went and being a, at the pros and came back. And um, Jim Barker talked him into being our offensive line coach with the XFL in 2001. And Dave just passed uh, most recently. And Tom Luganville on his USC UCLA broadcast this past week did a great just um, um, memorial to him. And I loved playing for Lev because it was not about the X's and O's. And I told people this story. He brought our first playbook to our very first meeting. And I open it up and I'm ready to go. And I'm looking at this playbook and it's empty. It just has a formation. It has no defense. It has no calls. And he said, I said, Coach, where's all the where's all the offense? Where's all the plays? He's like, no, no, we're going to put this together. We're going to write this in and we're going to make it our line calls. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. Um, now it's probably because he didn't really want to draw it all in and all that stuff, but he made it us and he, we made it a part of who we were and we had a championship season and guys like that, like you talk about Coach Vermeil, and you talk about guys like Dave Levy who make yeah. you feel like you're a part of big, uh, part of something bigger than what you are, that you have a vested interest in it because I love coaching the XFL, the USFL, the CFL because like you said, Guys have been released. They've had success. They're a professional football player, but they've also been released. So if you build that trust and you say, hey, I've been there, I've done that with you, and you've had success, but you've got to earn that every single day. And same from the players. They've got to earn that respect from you, bringing the effort, bringing the juice, being a true professional and giving them those opportunities. When you see guys like um, you know, Greg Van Roden, who played for me in Toronto and played all five spots when I was with the Argos. He actually played tight end. He played all six positions one year. And now he's playing for the Raiders and he's one of the, you know, veteran guards in the NFL right now, a guy that paid his dues, who's a smart guy coming from the Ivy league that all of a sudden works his way in. You just are so excited to see guys like that have success. And those are the joys that we have in coaching when guys like that are successful. Yeah, and when you know, like when you talked about Dave Levy, and you mentioned that story about your playbook, what a beautiful way to give a player ownership. And and you know, once the player has ownership and he's vested, you know, he's got he's invested in the process. Then again, you're going to get more out of that athlete, far more than if it's just okay. This is what you do, right? And you know, I mean, I think that. One of the other things that I've noticed, there's a, you know, a, a lot of the really, really good coaches that I've been around were not great players, right? They were guys that had to work, study, learn, pre, and, and so they have a deep appreciation for the game. And that's not to say that you can't be a, I mean, you look at Antonio Pierce, great player, and now the 
interim coach with the Raiders and doing a great job. Yeah, it can happen that way, but far and away, you know, through my experience, it's been the guys that were grinders as players that end up as the best coaches. You know, you, you look at Galen Hall, who we, we, we worked for at the Rhyme Fire. I mean, you know, Galen was a great quarterback at Penn State, then went on to be Joe Namath's backup with the Jets. And, you know, I mean, never really played as an, as an NFL or AFL player, but became, an, you know, one of the really outstanding coaches I've ever been around. And, and I think part of that was because he stood on the sidelines and uh, an awful lot and learned, you know, and paid attention and, you know, to be, you know, you obviously Galen was a lot older when we worked for him, but he didn't even look the part. Like he told me, he was he was Joe Namath's backup, and I I said, "Come on, Galen, stop." <laughs> no, but, that's great, man. No, and you know the emphasis that that coaches, the impact that a coach can have on on a player, on a unit, on a group. And I wanted to transition into this past Grey Cup that happened this past. Um, this past season and I know you're a traveling man and you ran into um, you guys had a great unit in your special teams unit in Hamilton this year and you played Montreal in the East semis am I right you guys played and they were a team that was kind of got into the playoffs and kind of limped their way in but all of a sudden they got hot at the end and they believed in each other and Cody did a great job for uh, for the offense, and I think Noel Thorpe and that defense did a great job, and all of a sudden, they caught fire. Same thing happened with us in the XFL this year. Our, our team and the Arlington Renegades with Bob Stoops, we kind of worked our way and just kind of fought and scratched and clawed and got into the playoffs, and anything can happen in the playoffs. And it was one of the most exciting CFL Grey Cup games that I've seen in years. Unfortunately, we had to watch it online on CFL+. Plus. Uh, that was a little bit interesting to see with uh, where the CFL is. But the CFL game is healthy right now. It seemed like it was a great, great cup game, the 110th great cup, where uh, Montreal ended up being Winnipeg. Give me your thoughts if you saw a little bit of it in between your airport stops. Well, you're you exactly correct. You know, I mean, you know, Montreal won, I think it was eight straight at the end of the season. And one of the things we all subscribed to, at least I think we all subscribed to, it, is that when you talk about single elim- elimination football, you want to be healthy and hot at the end, right? I mean, the CFL season is 18 games long. It's longer than the NFL season. And you know you got to break it down in basically chunks in third. And Montreal was so-so at, at the, you know, the first third. Then they started to get a little better. And, you know, then they made some player moves towards the back end of the, towards the, back end of the season that really worked out for them. They brought in Sankey, who you know had played, had won an ex- yeah, yeah, won an ex- championship, and you know they brought back uh, a pass rusher named Lemon that you know has, was a is going to be a he- CFL Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. You know they knew he, you know they did really did a good job because they knew he didn't have eighteen games in, him, but you know he was a guy that could come in and give you ten really good ones, and so they got hot, they got confident. Cody started making plays. Um, and, you know, the a team that believes, man, and I know this sounds corny and all that stuff, but a team that believes is a dangerous football team because we played them in the, in the Eastern Semi, and it was a – I mean, it was a knockdown, drag out. Every, every yard was contested. 
kind of football game. And when they beat us, you could see, you know, you could see in their swagger as they left the field. I said, watch out because Toronto had clinched really early. They were 15 and or 16 and two, I think on the year. But that, I think they got a little bit, they started listening, you know, like what coach Tressman used to call the success flu. And, and I think they got a pretty good case of it where I think they just thought they'd show up and, and, you know, beat Montreal. It didn't happen that way. Montreal gets a big play early in the game, get the momentum, and all of a sudden they blow out Toronto. Now they're coming into the Grey Cup. Still, nobody's respecting them. Nobody thinks they can do it. I mean, this is a team that didn't even have an owner to start the season, right? So it's been an incredible journey for those guys. And they go out, and with 13 seconds left, and it's third and, you know, third and five, which is like fourth and five in, in, right. in the U.S. Right. Third down, it's all or nothing on one play, and they throw a post-cut in the end zone, and Cody makes a great throw, and a kid catches it, dives and catches it, and they're great club champions. And that's that's one of the things that makes sport so incredible because you know, without being really cliche, I, you know, on any given Sunday, it can happen. And you know, um, it's a great lesson for every team that when you when you're, you know, it starts to get bad and, and you're going to face adversity every season. It's what you do when you face that adversity. Can you weather it together as a team and then come out the other end? If you do, you've got a chance to do special things like they did. And I was really happy for them. Um, you know, I know a number of those coaches. Jason Moss had just gotten you know, fired in Saskatchewan as the offensive coordinator pre- year previous. Cody had been, you know, basically put on the scrap heap by Saskatchewan, and you know they they go get together and go to Montreal and make them you know make a magical story. No, I've I've been a part of a few of those, and it's just neat to see when you fill the locker room. Twenty seventeen in Toronto, um, I was picked up uh, mid season by Coach Tressman in Toronto. We caught fire at the right time, and we were probably the big underdogs going into uh, the Great Cup in Ottawa playing Calgary. And snowstorm hits, and all of a sudden, the tide turns, and and uh, we ended up pulling it off. And this past year in Arlington with Bob Stoops, we kind of hit the playoff. We made an acquisition midseason, ended up signing Luis Perez as our quarterback, who – was kind of the third forgotten QB in, in Vegas. And so I've seen it a number of times. And so it was cool because I have a lot of history. I have two Grey Cup rings from Montreal. I think those were probably the last championship 13 years ago, uh, 2010, when we won back-to-back Grey Cup championships with uh, with Mark. And I know you spent some time in Montreal. That was a proud franchise. It's a proud city, and it's exciting to see them get back on track um, I'm sure that parade will be pretty fun down uh, on Crescent Street, and they'll get that thing rolling. But happy for those guys. Anything can happen in the game. And like you said, it's a game of momentum. And if you can create that in the latter part of a season, it, it's electric, and you can feel it in a locker room. And uh, I wanted to um, you know, kind of talk a little bit about kind of your stops. You've been in college, you've been in pro, you've been in north of the border in the CFL, you've coached in Europe uh, with the Rhine Fire and Amsterdam. 
I mean, you've been at most of the CFL franchises. Some of them you've been a couple different times, my brother. And uh, you've kind of been at a lot of mid-major, like myself, mid-major colleges. You were at New Mexico, La Tech. You were at SMU. Uh, you were at Hawaii, uh, both coaching and on the personnel side most recently. And, uh, you know, I was disappointed once you were not at, at Hawaii any longer. That kind of eliminated the opportunity for my son to go play because I wanted him to play for you maybe maybe one of these days down the road. But um, so the way the, the way the transfer portal is, man, who knows? Exactly, for all of us, coaches and players included, brother, because college the college game has changed. I mean, it's changing as we speak between conference realignment, Transfer portal, coaching movement, you know, just the money, the sheer money. You look at the range from the power fives to the group of fives. And we've been, you and I have coached at the group of five level. And it's, it's getting harder and harder for those teams to be competitive just on a sheer market value with what you're doing with the money that's coming in. But I wanted to talk about kind of one of the most special teams that you've ever had any level, whether it's small school college, whether it's Ivy League, whether it's CFL, whether it's mid-major, but just any team that you've been a part of that was just special for you. Uh, I I know it's probably hard to choose, but anything that jumps out to you. There's so many of them, but, you know, each each was unique in its own way. I mean, we had a 10-0 Ivy League championship team that at the University of Pennsylvania that went down and beat Navy. Um you know, we we had a undefeated team at Hawaii that went twelve and zero and beat Washington. But you know, I, you're talking about the mid majors, you know, and and you know, it's so. When I was at Hawaii with June, and you know, during that time, you know, we beat Michigan State, we beat Washington, we beat Oregon State, we beat Purdue. You know, we played Alabama and Tuscaloosa. You know, we're throwing one in the end zone trying to win it with you know last play of the game. I mean, we beat some good football teams and won a lot of games in those three seasons. I'm not sure you can re- I'm not sure you can do that anymore at those kinds of schools because I don't know. I think that I think the gap has gotten so much bigger between the haves and have-nots. And now with the you know the NIL thing and and the transfer portal, I think it's going to continue to to grow. One, my my concern is Jaime that at some point we're going to have this fraction where the top 30 so teams just go and they they do it on their own because the economics of the game I mean your son plays in the SEC you see it every time you go see Walker play I mean the the amount of money the budgets the things that those programs have I'm going to tell you the truth when we were at Hawaii I was the only guy that went on the road recruiting because our recruiting budget didn't allow it and I had to stay like I'd go to San, you know, I'd work the Bay Area and I'd stay with Larry Owens and, you know, at College of San Mateo, or I'd stay with a college friend of mine when I was in Sacramento. Um, we recruited some really, really good players out of Texas that we never saw till they got off their airplane on the visit because we just couldn't afford to do it. Right. Sure, that's possible anymore. You know, I really, I really don't know if you can. So each of those teams was really special. Then you talk about pro football. And, you know, our, our, our world bowl champion, Ryan fire team, you know, was one of those teams with Danny Warfield quarterback. It's amazing. You know, Ben, for a guy that's, you talk about been gifted to 
or blessed to be around a lot of good players. I, I've coached four different Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. I mean, I don't know how many guys in the world can say that. And, you know, when you have a guy like Doug Flutie playing quarterback for you, you always got a chance. And then we have a guy like Danny Werfel playing quarterback for you. You you increase your chances because you know he's gonna he's gonna deliver every day, right? So you know it's the associations, but it's not the it's not the championship rings. I don't the only one I've ever kept is my Sugar Bowl ring from Hawaii. The rest I've given to my kids. But what I cherish most is the relationships. Those are the things. Ah, you got me. Those are the things that you know stand the test of time. You know, I still hear all the time from Mike Sam, you know, and Chico, as I called him, you know, played at SC and then was on our first Ryan Fire team and then went back and, you know, was a special teams guy for the 49ers for a couple of years and now really, really successful guy in Southern California. But, you know, it was really cool when he brought his son over to, who's a baseball player, over to on an official visit to Hawaii and we got a chance to catch up and. You know, it, all the years just disappear in one conversation, you know, because when you're on a team, you're a part of something that they can't take it away from you. You know, they, they honestly can't. They, you can, you know, you can lose your money, you can lose your house, you can lose your wife, you can lose a lot of things, but you never lose your teammates ever. Yeah, no, and that's such... A special reason why I wanted to have you on. And, uh, you know, you were a big part of growing me as a player and also a, a great example as a coach. And I try to rely upon some of those lessons that I learned from some of the greats that I've been around um, every day, trying to have something more than just X's and O's to talk about with your guys. You know, what makes them tick and allowing the players to have the floor and letting them be able to help put the scheme together, but also get to know each other. And this past year, tried to do a lot in the XFL with getting to know these guys and build rapport within the group. And so we would go to, you know, uh, uh, one of our favorite spots, Vaqueros Texas Barbecue and up in Grapevine. And then we'd go next door to Hop and Sting Brewery and hang out with those guys. And those guys were huge, um, you know, sponsors for us to be able to do it, but also it helped bring the group together. And, the training that I'm doing now with high school kids here in Colorado, and it's starting to expand across the U S with five is one, you know, we train at a place called fixed sports here in Colorado Springs. And those guys are like family now, just being able to work with those guys um, and help build this younger generation of players and having a great relationship rapport. And you just kind of build that, whether you were one as a player uh, you try to do it as a staff, but also with the players that you're coaching to always have those relationships. So appreciate all the support of everybody that's been around five is one that's helped with this podcast to get off the ground. Um, you know, to the people that have donated, uh, I want to thank um, LPA lineman performance uh, Academy and Clint Anderson down in the DFW area has donated some uh, of the equipment that we use. And so it's all about good people and trying to build things up, whether it's your staff, whether it's your team or the training component. So, um, Jeff, it's it's always been something that I've appreciated our relationship. You and I have been across the sideline a couple different times. Uh, you're always a guy that I can lean on 
just for advice and just watching how you've coached and the success you've had. In your opinion, what separates a player? What makes a guy a pro? What have you seen in your experiences in pro ball or even in college ball of what separates someone maybe from the rest of the team, the rest of the group? I know each player, each team has a different personality, but what are some of the key attributes that you've seen on the guys that maybe have been able to obtain more than what just the, they might not be as talented as other guys and what separates them from others? I I think it's, you know, really all boils down to one word and that's care. Do you care? Do you really, really care? Do you care about your contribution, your individual contribution? Do you care about your unit contribution? Do you care about, you know, your side of the ball's contribution? But are you willing, do you care enough to do what it takes to have success? And it's not natural and it's not easy. And it's getting more unnatural in this world every day because it's a me, you know, this is, it's a me world now, right? And it's all about, you know, my, how many times I can get likes and clicks and, you know, the whole deal, right? I mean, that's just the world we're living in. I'm not, I'm not bitching about it. I'm just saying that's what it is, but it's the guy who can put his own bullshit away, you know, for the good of the bunch. There's a, there's a tremendous uh, piece that I, I recommend it for you. I mean, if you've never seen it and for anybody that uh, might be interested in this kind of thing we're talking about, there's a ex special forces guy, Navy SEAL by the name of Makowitz. And there's a video on YouTube that you can get of him talking to the Raiders back in, you know, when the Raiders were still in Oakland and, you know, uh, you'll, you'll, it, it's a, t- it's like a timepiece going back and you see the guys, you know, Rich Gannon and that group of, you know, were, were really good Raider teams. And Makowitz is talking to the Raiders at training camp at a barbecue they had. And he's talking about that very same thing is can you put your own bullshit aside for the good of the group? Do you, are you the guy that wants to be called on to make the sacrifice or you got, are you the guy that's going to slink away from it when it really gets hard? And I think that's one of the things that we can do to help players in that transition to a thing that's not normal for them is by coaching them hard and putting them in difficult positions. And then when they succeed, reward that success and build that self-esteem because we're all, you know, we're all coach Vermeil said it this way. And I think it was fantastic. He goes, everybody has an abnormally high tolerance for praise. And so, you know, it's really true. And and you get so much more out of an athlete, I think, by showing them that what they can do and not telling them what they can't do. Right. And, you know, I just think that's what the best coaches do. I mean, I, Coach Ramil was the best I've ever seen at the at human interactions, by far the best I've ever seen. And he was relentless and he was tough. And he was demanding, but he was loving and he was, you know, 
genuine and all those those other things so that as a player you could you could submit yourself to hard coaching and hard criticism because you knew it was he was attacking a problem not a person you know and we say that that we have a sign in our mini room we're going to aggressively attack problems and we define a problem as anything that keeps us from playing at the highest level but we'll never attack a person and I think that's great. I remember vividly when I coached at Wake Forest for Jim Grove and, you know, he was, you know, one of the greatest coaches to do it at a school that was hard to compete in the ACC at that time when you're playing Clemson and Florida State, North Carolina, Miami. I mean, come on, they got freaks across the field and you're at Wake, but he was hard on guys. He would kick you in the butt, but he'd also hug you around the neck and it was hey, you and I both know you can do better than that. And so it empowered the player to feel like, I don't want to let coach down. And, yeah. you know, I've been around some great leaders from yourself to Galen to Mark Tressman to Grobe to Stoops, you know, to Skip Holtz. I mean, I've been around some incredible leaders, played for John Robinson, coached for John Robinson at UNLV. And it was, it's just amazing to see leadership styles. And if you yeah. empower your players and if you can push them to feel like, I don't want to let coach down. He believed in me and I never wanted to let down John Robinson who took a shot at me as a player, gave me my first job, gave me my first graduate assistant position, gave me my first full-time division one coaching job that I was like, I never want to let him down. So I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to make my, to make myself the best player I can be, but also when I'm coaching to be the best coach that I can be to get my players to perform at the highest level. So it's all about that accountability. And if you have that care for each other, like you talked about, it's it's really special when you're in those locker rooms and it's something that you always strive for. And I think that's why you and I both coach. It's You're never going to find that in any other industry whatsoever, man, other than the game of football. You're, exa you're exactly right. You know, Jaime, I watched really close, you know, as uh, and I always follow you on on. You know, all the social media platforms you're on and and I I would look at the pictures that you would take in the locker room after you would win a game, right? And the genuine love um that those guys have for each other, that group you had last year, that the you can't you can't pose those pictures, right? I mean you, you and you can't Photoshop them. It you can see it. You know, and if you if you've been around this game long enough and been around enough athletes and and, uh, and enough units, you know, it's really evident when the way those guys cared about each other and the way they cared about you. And that's why you were able to accomplish, you know, championships. I really truly believe that. That's why you became a championship football team. Well, like you said, you get good players, you become a really good coach. But uh, all of a sudden, when they're all pulling in the same direction and, yeah. you know, that's one of those things that's special. And that's why I love coaching the offensive line. I've coached tight ends before. I've been a head high school coach, but I always wanted to have my hand in, I think, the best position because it's a thankless job playing offensive line. The only time you get circles is when you screw up. And, uh, you know, that's kind of one of those things, same on the specialist world. Like, as a long snapper, you don't want anybody to know your name because it's like you did your job. And so uh, probably not the most exciting position in the world for my son to be playing, but you know, you survive just in anonymity and you're okay. Do your job, be reliable, be consistent every single day. You'll and always suck. Yeah. 
hey, there's something to be said for being that in in life, being yep. reliable, being consistent, and being a guy that can be counted on. Explain this phenomenon to me, bro. All right, because I, I, this one, I love it. I absolutely love it. It seems like it's every team I've ever been on, every situation I've ever seen. I watch it at all levels from high school to the NFL. The offensive lineman and and the offensive line coach, typically, it reminds me of like a mother duck and all of her little ducklings. You know, when you see a duck cross the street and then the seven little, eight little ducklings will follow her across the that's what an offensive line in training camp looks like to me. Where, yeah, I mean, it's it's uncanny. Every team I see, it's the same way. Is is that just the psychology thing, or is is it su- survival, or what is it that creates that? Well, ho- hopefully, you get bigger than little ducks. You, 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 the bigger the ducks are, the the better the the protection is going to be. So, but it is, you know, you you love that that kind of camaraderie and the group. And you kind of commiserate together. Sometimes you get a guy that's, you know, going to bitch and complain and he's going to say this and that and practice, but he loves it because he keeps coming back for it. You know, you just kind of love guys that are thinking more of the group, more of the team and just kind of live in that mushroom society. And that, that kind of five is one mentality that you got to come together as a unit and you want to find the best unit rather than the five best guys you need to find the best unit and that's why I love the position and sometimes it it kind of evolves throughout a season based on injury or guys kind of gravitate and they become work their way up into that starting role and into that spot but there's nothing better than an offensive line meeting room the things that are said the things that are talked about uh no one's exempt everybody is uh is a target uh, whatever you do on film is going to be critiqued. You are going to be called out. And if you don't have thick skin, brother, you are not going to make it in an O-line meeting room or being in an O-line room. And I'm sure you probably do it the same way within your teams. Like, hey, if we can't laugh at each other, if you can't call each other out, then you, it's not for the faint of heart around here. Yeah, well, I'll, all I remember is that room always smelled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You got to put you got to put your flair on it. Hey, uh, I want to thank one of our last sponsors, Ray Crowther and Tip of the Spear, uh, for your support of Five is One training. Uh, we use your blast shields. Blast hand shields allows coaches and players to take their most dominant techniques into the game, uh, into their own hands during practice and training sessions. So, um, Jeff, it's awesome to have you on. I know you're in a long layover. Hopefully you can get over overseas. How long are you going to be over there before uh, you work your way back to the U.S.? I'm going to be there through the games at Christmas and then in Boxing Day. And then my wife and I are going to go kick around Europe for a little bit and then come back. Hey, I, I got to tell you, the guys at Crowther, this is a story that that I think they'll appreciate. When I was at SMU, we had the late, great Frank Gans, the greatest special teams coach that ever lived on our staff. And Frank went out and found an old Crowther sled. And he showed our football team the Crowther pro- progression mm-hmm. on the, and we would do that every single day. And that, that Crowther sled may be the greatest single piece of football equipment ever made. I truly believe because it can take, it, it took young players and taught them how to deliver a bolt blow. The one of the, you know, one of the grip 
most important fundamentals every football player's got to learn how to do. You know, Jaime, I did, I did this, and this I'm going to leave it at this. You know, I did this. I've watched so many thousands of hours of film, like thousands of hours of film. And I've really bro- boiled it down to there's really right at about a dozen things that an athlete, if he wants to be a high-level football player, no matter the position, has to be able to do, right? These are these are what I, what I call transferable skills. And I really think that coaches, particularly coaches that are working with younger players, if they want to do their younger players a service and, and you know, do them a solid, they'll teach them how to play the game. Not, in, in, a, in a, you know, not the X and O part, right? But how to play, how to come to balance, how to gain control of your feet, how to strike a blow, you know, how to, def- you know, how to get skinny in a gap, all the things that every single player has to do. But we get so caught up in the, you know, the X and O part of the thing. And, you know, but I just really, really believe that fundamentals, man, fundamentals, and you learn fundamentals on great pieces of equipment and great pieces of equipment are timeless. The Stradivarius violin is still around, bro. Why? Because it's the best one ever made. That's it. It's all about the fundamentals. And that's why I love coaching and working with these kids in this area with five as one training. And, you know, to give these kids, we're also caught up with the scheme, like you said, or, hey, let's jump right into one-on-ones and the combat part of O-line, D-line play where a lot of these kids are nowhere near prepared and they don't have the background, the fundamentals, the skill set to be able really to do some of those things. And so to play, I think you have to start with the foundation and those building blocks. And that's why we love five is one training with what we're doing here in Colorado. There's expansion coming in a number of different franchises across the country here very soon after the new year. And uh, we'll have to get you some five is one swag, even though you've never coached the offensive line, Jeff. You are truly one of the the best teachers I've ever been around, and you are in the family, brother. You are uh, a part of this thing, and you are definitely a part of Five as One. Well, I'm gonna tell you, I, and and again, John, you know, I this is from my heart that you know, if a kid, if a young kid or a parent wants their kid to be able to play the game well and play it safely and play it for a long time, they need to come see what you do and, and the things you teach because the things that you teach. And I've watched your videos. The things that you're teaching to high school kids are the same techniques that are valid in the NFL. And the sooner a player learns to create that unconscious competence where he doesn't have to think about a technique, he just goes out and performs it, the better he's going to play and the higher level he's going to play and the longer he's going to play and the safer he's going to play. Much appreciated, brother. Um, It's awesome to have you on. And uh, we, we might have to do this a couple more times. Maybe we'll hit you when you finally get across the pond. When you have some time, I know there's a lot going on with uh, with what you have doing stuff with Sky Sports over uh, over in Europe right now and uh, doing an analyst for the rest of the NFL season. Uh, enjoy your time over there. And, uh, Jeff, it, it's great to have you on. Um, you've meant so much to me in my career as a player, and that, that was a very short amount of time as a player. But as a coach, brother, uh, I've learned so much from you. And uh, appreciate our time, appreciate our friendship, and for all those on the uh, on the podcast, please follow Coach Jeff Reinbold on all the socials. Um, follow his podcast. There's probably one every single day that he's recording. Um, he's got a lot going on, 
but please like, subscribe, follow the uh, our Five is One podcast. And with that being said, and uh, we appreciate all the support getting this thing going. And uh, God bless to everybody, Jeff. Great to have you on, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate you, John. And and uh, when wander over to the Big Island, man. I got an extra surfboard. You're always welcome. We'll catch you it, waving. It's been a minute. I think I was over there last time. You took me out to uh, to a spot. Gosh, I'm free. We were on Oahu and. Um, Little did I know, I think after we were doing that camp together, I found out that it was the most shark-infested area in the in the uh, islands, I found out later. But uh, it was worth it, brother. Would uh, would love to see you. I'd love to uh, go grind it a little bit again. And uh, safe travels. And uh, until next time, guys. And with that being said, aloha. <laughs>